Hey, Ryan, how's your vacation going? I'm in jail right now. Oh, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> how are we supposed to make sure all 10 of our listeners are getting their weekly dose of quarantine comics, mirth and mayhem? I just create another podcast if I were you. <sighs> I guess that's as good an idea as any. I mean, I did something like that last summer, actually. Oh, is this to host your Mark Zuckerberg, Tim Cook erotica? No, something uh. a little bit more risque than that. Oh, well, now color me intrigued. What would that be? It's my Dick Grayson nonfiction podcast. And now why does that exist? And who did you sucker into participating? Well, I am glad you asked. It's friend of the pod, Paresh Ja, who I've known almost as long as I've known you. Ja, I remember Paresh. He was on our Red Rocket 7 and Black episodes, and he loves uh, Nightwing like most mothers might love their sons. You got it, man. So basically, Paresh really loves Dick Grayson. But so do I. Uh, basically, last summer, during a socially distanced walk and talk, after Paresh came on Quarantine Comics, we got to talking. And we wondered, what if we could go deeper? And how deep do you want to go with Paresh, Roman? I think the question we asked ourselves is, what if we could go deeper with the characters from our favorite comics? And naturally, one of those first heroes that rose to the top was Dick Grayson, a.k.a. the original Robin, and later, Nightwing. Dick Grayson as Robin first appeared in 1940, and he first appeared as Nightwing in 1963, and he was still a teenager because he was part of the Teen Titans. So here's my question that I hope you guys answer. In what year did Dick Grayson reach drinking age? <laughs> the funny thing about comic books is these people stay perpetually the same age over and over and over again. And I, I do want to challenge you. I don't think the first appearance of Nightwing was in 1963. I'm almost positive it was in the 1980s acclaimed run, The Judas Contract. Nightwing is first depicted. I'm going off of Wikipedia here. Nightwing is first depicted in the story Superman in Candor. In Superman number 158, January Aha, that is the first appearance of the Kryptonian superhero Nightwing. Oh! Not Grayson as Nightwing. But, been fun fooled. fact. Fun fact. That is actually where Dick Grayson took his inspiration. From the Kryptonian story. From his Uncle Cal. So wait, so Dick Grayson as Nightwing appeared in what, what year? 1980, you said? Two? Three? Something like that. It was in the Judas Contract. Yeah. So As as a member of the Teen Titans. So, in fact, I thought he was a teenager for like 23 years. And I learned, in fact, he was a teenager for over 40 plus years. So I think my question still stands. In what year did he actually reach drinking age? <laughs> Look, anywho, while you and I might argue many things about the ages and the timelessness and the perpetual reset button that comic book characters always hit. I mean, this is a fundamental problem that we have with modern superhero comics. Nothing ever changes. But we come to the conclusion through this character study of ours that Dick Grayson is very much the exception to that rule. So in a four-part show, within a show, we are going to call character study of Dick from his time as the other half of Batman's dynamic duo to becoming a teen wonder for several decades, to becoming his own <laughs> hero as Nightwing, and even assuming the mantle of the bat. Now that sounds thrilling. Another question for you, though. If Dick Grayson isn't Batman anymore, is that considered a demotion? <laughs> you know, I'm wondering if Batman's management style is almost as bad as Superman's. <laughs> oh, 
Holy new podcast alert, Paresh. No. What? Come on, man. No, no. We're we're not going to do that. We're doing several episodes on Dick Grayson, and I will not have this devolve into a series of one-liners. I see. So you are going to be the grumpy Batman on this podcast. Isn't that normally my department? Well, I love subversion, but I also love Dick. <laughs> All right. You get to make jokes, but I don't. Holy overreaction alert, Rumman. I hate you so much. <laughs> Welcome to Character Study. I'm Paresh Cha, and I love to torture Ruman. And I'm Ruman Segel, and I like to keep Paresh in line. <laughs> this is a new series where we get into some deep cuts on some of our favorite comic book characters. Yeah, you know, all those other comic book podcasts, they nerd out on the stories. We're here to nerd out on the characters that have lived, died, and lived again over the decades. Characters have been built in stories by many different creators that have frankly put them through the paces. This will be the first of a four-part series centered on my personal favorite comic book character of all time, Dick Grayson, a.k.a. the original Robin. What does a.k.a. stand for? A.k.a. also known as... Is that that a serious question? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think today's episode is appropriate because it's all about the origins. Yeah. And Dick Grayson's origin has had several iterations over the years. And today we're going to try to focus on just four of them. Just four. Four? (laughs) Come on. Four? Listen, listen. I, I might actually sneak in a few more if Cranky Pants allows it. It's Senor Cranky Pants, boy wonder. Don't anger your elders. <laughs> so where do we start? Ah, <laughs> uh, how about 1940? Oh my God, this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> Come on, man. All right, all right. Listen. So as Roman said, begrudgingly, we're going to be talking about Dick Grayson's origins. Yeah. So in all seriousness, we're going to focus on four key stories. 1940s Detective Comics number 38, the first appearance of Robin by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. 1999's Batman Dark Victory by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. 1997's Batman Chronicles The Gauntlet by Lee Weeks. And 2001's Robin Year One by Chuck Dixon. Dude, but there's so much more we want to talk about. We've only had 40 minutes, dude, but you know, knowing you, you're going to try to sneak some more deep cuts in. You know me so well, but let's start, let's start off with the reason for this podcast. Why do we like Dick Grayson so much? Why start with him? There's hundreds and hundreds of comic book characters out there. Well, number one reason is that this is our podcast and we decided to start with Dick Grayson and we love him. It is also the 80th anniversary of Robin started in 1940, so... Why not? But if I need to distill this down to why I love Dick Grayson so much, it's really simple. In the comic book world, there is so much impermanence. People die, people come back. So much so much changes, but doesn't change. Dick Grayson is one of the few characters that has changed significantly and lasting change. He started off as Robin. He went off to become his own hero as Nightwing. And he's continue, continually evolving 
with the comic book industry itself. He's even become Batman, but we'll get into that. Yeah. You know, one thing I I don't want to say I love Dick Grayson, but I really admire him as a character and what DC has chosen to do with him over the years. There was a point in the late nineties, early two thousands where I feel like DC finally got the formula of Dick Grayson and started applying it to other characters, be it Kyle Rayner and green lantern, even Wally West in The Flash, and a few others. But to your point about impermanence, they like snapped everyone else back. Hal Jordan is Green Lantern again. Barry Allen is The Flash again, versus sticking with it. And again, while Nightwing has gone back and forth through his roles, for the most part, his history has been one of permanent change. And that matters. And I think there's more of a legacy and a history that's done. And I think what we'll do is start at the very beginning and then through the course of the series go into some of those lasting changes that we've seen in his life. Exactly. Totally agree there. So let's start uh, in 1940. Detective Detective Comics number 38. Hadn't read this in a long time, but this it's it's required reading, I think, to really understand the character and the origins literally uh, in terms of the narrative, but also just in the comic book industry as a whole. I was surprised when I went back and read it that it was only 15 pages. It was super short. Roman, what was what was your first reaction when you reread it? Here's what I'd say. I read it once a long, long time ago, a reprint, and we obviously read it on, on tablets and virtually. But I feel like I've read so many Robin origin stories since the first time I read that reprint years ago that it almost clouded my memory of the story. It It's not a character story. It's, it's literally the beats and the sketches of an origin, which made such an amazing landing. This was the first time that I believe, I believe this was the first time in comics where they put a kid, the reader at the center of the action. So the kids reading it could relate. And it was a wild success because immediately following everyone started putting kids in the comics. And so it serves as a good function, but the stories, I don't want to say it's paper thin, but it's literally like Bruce Wayne's at a circus. A kid dies, a kid cries, a kid vows to become a superhero and trains. And like, it's not even a one page montage. It's like a two panel montage. It but- was so, it was dense in those two panels. Everything, everything that we know and that people have spent pages and pages fleshing out in the years after, it was shocking to see it in just two panels, literally, like you said. That was crazy. And, and, and to be clear, the creators, much to their credit of the foresight and what they built, they weren't loading those panels with symbolism, minus like the famous candlelight shot. But the rest of it is it's literally three pages of Batman busting heads of the local crime boss <laughs> before Robin gets to make his appearance for a page or two. And and I think he took a picture, <laughs> took a picture of framing someone for murder. Yep. I think people forget that early Batman wasn't a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was definitely a jerk. And but even when we think about Robin now, when I think about Robin now, you think about the decision to to bring him in. You know, none of that was given much thought here. It was really just in this original story, it's oh, Dick Grayson, don't call the police. You're going to die if you do this. So I'm going to take you back to the cave and I'm going to keep you here so that Nobody gets after you. Every little um, boy's dream. Yeah. And then after that, it, he, Dick uh, Grayson's just like, okay, I just lost my parents, but cool, man. Like, this is fine. But, th- you know, 
that that was the type of storytelling from back then, I think, where they didn't dwell on on the the deeper, heavier stuff. The point well, here to be clear, was we're getting a the, kid in. Yeah, the audience. Remember, the audience of comic books have evolved over the years, and yes. I think the characters with them as well. This was literally written to little kids and no one else was reading it. They were disregarding it. So it's fine, you know, but it, it gives some very interesting character beats. It's a reason for a kid to participate through some trauma. Is this child wish fulfillment? Sure. I get to tag along with the superhero and instantly in the course of three panels, be as good as Batman. Even when they show that he's an acrobat and he's flipping around, I feel like in this book, there was a thing when Bruce Wayne says, wow, even I can't do that. And I have a kid, she's four, but she flips around and feels mighty. And, And I wonder if they were trying to channel that. Like every kid feels like they can do things that adults can't. That's because a good they're point. small. That's a good um, point. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I mean, what are your overall thoughts on, on this specific issue, the origin? I thought it was successful in introducing the concept of Robin and really quickly just establishing him as this person, this kid who is suddenly a a bright spot next to this weird creature. They even use the the words weird creature of the night when referring to Batman. So, you know, bringing it in as juxtaposition was very successful. Storytelling, not the best, but I, like you said, it's for kids. And from that perspective, I think it worked. Yeah, we're doing it for the kids. But, you know, I think when so many people think of Robin, they actually don't think about kid Robin. They think about teen Robin, you know, Burt Ward from the famous Adam West TV show. Even in a lot of the comics, Robin became more popularized as teenager but on this episode and and like we chose to stay away from him as a teenager that that'll be another episode the next few stories we're going to go into is little boy robin in the first year of his work so what does that take us to next that brings us directly to 1999's batman dark victory by jeff loeb and tim sale If anybody here is a fan of Batman graphic novels, this is a sequel to The Long Halloween, a very, very famous, successful detective story set in Batman year two, really. Year one, year two of Batman and Batman Dark Victory is a direct sequel to that, exploring years three and four. And it doesn't actually get into the Dick Grayson, Robin aspect of it all until significantly later into the book. I want to say... 75% 75% of the book goes by, and then we finally meet Dick Grayson. Yeah, and I think, so while I don't want to call this one a Robin story, when you convinced me that we should read this one, I, I somehow recalled that Robin was more active in my, my issue yeah. eight or issue nine of this 13-issue miniseries. Like, what the hell, man? So if you, if you want to pick up these books and take a read, jump straight to issue eight, issue nine. But, you know, issue one through eight is establishing where is Batman in his career? What are the issues that he's personally dealing with? He just lost his best friend in Harvey Dent, the guilt of his relationship with Commissioner Gordon. So it really is the first eight issues, while it's not a Robin story, set the table stakes of where Batman's head and heart is before he meets the little boy at Haley Circus. So, And, and what, what's cool is they don't spend their times rehashing the origin. They do show the beats of before he went to the circus, after he went to the circus. Alfred does, his butler does a great job of narrating it. But what it does show, and I would go as far as to say this this one isn't a great Robin story. This is a great Dick Grayson story. It shows what this little boy is going through, the parallels of this little boy 
facing this instrumental bit of loss. They literally show Alfred replaying scenes of Bruce Wayne's sorrow in Wayne Manor, followed by Dick Grayson's sorrow. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of shots that are just beautiful, but it's all about the sorrow of this little boy and how he copes with the grief. And I, I found that really powerful. And that's the reason Batman needs a Robin, I think, or maybe not needs a Robin, but the reason he brings in Dick Grayson to begin with, not necessarily as Robin, but just brings him in as someone he can help to be a guardian to. There's these beautiful shots. You instantly see Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson alone. He sees this child who just lost his parents. He sees himself in that child. What can he do? How do I, how do I fix things? As someone who is on a quest to right the wrongs that were done to him as a child, maybe this is the most meaningful thing he can actually do outside of you know, beating up criminals at night, helping someone who has lost exactly what he lost. And the artwork and the storytelling around Dick Grayson in, in Batman Dark Victory, I think is incredibly moving. There's the specific scene that Roman alluded to where Alfred looks at Dick Grayson coping with all of this stuff. He flashes back to seeing Bruce Wayne coping with all of this stuff. And what he couldn't do for Bruce, he changes. He acts now and decides he's going to do that for Dick Grayson. And why is this important? This is important because unlike Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson is a source of optimism. Now, some of that was innate. Some of that was always there. But a large part of it is because he was raised by Alfred and Bruce to some extent to show him another way to but, give but I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there. Optimism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist in this book and that's okay. That, that comes in another book. I think in this moment you see a grieving child and, and the, the thing that this book does best better than frankly any other Robin story that I've seen is, and again, we didn't read the 1940s and 15 1940s and 1950s comics but some of these other books, not counting the origin, Dick feels like a smarmy teen or an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And in this book, he's a little boy. And how would, again, he handles the grief of losing his parents better than I would, right? But the way Tim Sale portrays him, he portrays Bruce Wayne and Batman as literally larger than life, literally this 10 foot tall. Yeah, the, the demon thing or buff man. The and, artwork in particular right there, though, is great because you see this l- minuscule little figure next to this towering gargantuan man. I mean, just that alone uh, is iconic imagery. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no. And, and he's there's this one scene I was flipping through where after, you know, he has not permission, but a little bit of moderate training. And, you know, he's. He's, you know, trained with a stick to fight and he goes jumping around to snoop. He's anger. He's full of anger. Mm -hmm. And I think the emotions you see in Dick Grayson and are the stages of grief. You definitely see denial, coping and anger. You don't see a lot of acceptance until the very end. But -hmm. for the most part, this is a grieving little boy. And that's what's powerful about that's what the origins of Dick Grayson are born in. And we can't forget that. And it 
it almost hyper-rationalizes the reason that Bruce has to take him under his wing. Not just child endangerment, child target practice, all the jokes that have been made about Robin over the years. This portrays it, arguably, in the most human cinematic manner. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, to your point, what you said, that there isn't much optimism here. There isn't, but this... I think shows and reinforces why Dick Grayson and Robin becomes such an optimistic character. And say more, say more. It validates it in terms you see you see Alfred doing things that he didn't do for Bruce. Bruce Wayne didn't have this as 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 a child. He didn't have the support that Alfred maybe should have been giving him. And Bruce Wayne didn't have anybody else other than Alfred, but Dick Grayson has both Bruce and Alfred in this situation. He has an outlet. He has somebody, he has two people helping him in ways that Bruce Wayne did not receive. And as a result of that, that reinforces the idea of Dick Grayson being a charming, optimistic, not dark figure, right? That's, you know, how, that's how I see it. The last two pages are great because yeah. it really talks to the... Bruce and Batman, I mean, again, he is crazy and there is child endangerment, 100%. but it literally you see Bruce saying at the very end and based on scenes where Dick has already left the coop a couple of times, he can't stop this kid. He says, I can't change your mind. Dick says, no way. Bruce says, you might want to rethink the yellow cape. Nope. Those were the colors of my parents, what they wore in the circus. And so all of these things, they're putting it on Dick. And I yep. like that. It's. It's now more rational. What? Why? Bruce is basically coming to terms with, I'm not going to be able to stop this kid. I, I already opened his eyes to this. I gave him some options, and he's not going to do exactly what I tell him to do. All I can do is channel, protect, and partner with him. Yeah. And that was the, the, the word partner. It comes up in the next two books we read, but it, it sets the stage for Dick transitioning to Robin. It sets all the rationale for why this had to happen. It's all of the stuff in between the panels of those first few books of the, of the origin story. But if you, yeah, agreed. If you look at that last image that you see, and this isn't a spoiler guys, I'm just going to mention it, but it shows Batman with the book in his hand and Robin basically putting down his hand on, on, I think there's, is there a book actually? There's I, no book. I was going to correct you. Yeah. There's no, he's just hand on hand, you hand know, on and, hand, and, and one, and one hand up in the air. And there, there, it's basically an oath. You're taking an oath. Right. And that is actually an exact frame from detective comics 38. Um, that's how it does. It's one very small panel, but this is expanded into a giant splash page by uh, Tim sale. And it looks, it, it harkens back to, to that original story in a way that, especially at reading both of them now, is really meaningful. And the I think it's as iconic of an image as the bat flying through the window when Bruce Wayne is in the chair in his origin story. So I, I think that is one image that will stick with me. So from there, we move on to a book we weren't that we actually didn't have on our radar until we started doing some research for this show. And it's 1997's Batman Chronicles, The Gauntlet. So if, you know, Detective Comics 38 is the quintessential 1940s origin story, Dark Victory is the transition of Dick uh, into Bruce's life and the rationalization for him becoming Robin. 
the gauntlet is famously called a day one story, not even a year one story, a day one story. And what I loved about this one was it was an interesting challenge. By this point, Tim has gotten all the training. He's got his costume. He you mean Dick? To- you said yeah. Tim. Yes. <laughs> That's a slip because Tim Drake will always be the greatest Robin. I'm just, I'll we're stand not, we're, we're not, no, 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 no. But anyway, carry on. It's a, point, it's a point to be argued. I think Dick Grayson is a greater character than Tim Drake. And a lot of people have feelings on, you know, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Cassie or Carrie. There, there have been many people who he, Dick Grayson was the first Robin. He had to be there to prove the point in the model that Batman needs a partner, that Batman can have a partner. But anyway, this is Dick Grayson's Batman Chronicles of the Gauntlet is Dick Grayson's day one. He's done all the training. He's got the costume. He's got the gear. And now Batman's literally going to have him run the gauntlet. And it's a really interesting contest. Do you want to talk about it? I really loved it. I, I hadn't read the story before. I had heard about it, but I hadn't read this one before. And I was surprised how much I really enjoyed it. So here's the premise. It's it's like a it's like a sick contest, I guess. But but the idea here is Robin Dick Grayson needs to survive a night in Gotham without running into the Batman himself. That's essentially the premise. He needs to be on patrol, and if he get and he needs to last until sunrise. If Batman finds him before sunrise, it's over. He's not going to be Robin. And, and well, it's and it's Batman saying. Batman is still reluctant about letting this kid. I've trained you. I can't stop you, but you've got to play by my rules. You've got to pass my test. You're ready when I say you're ready. Yeah. And it's basically Robin's like game on. So from sunset to sun up, Robin's got to patrol the streets and stay away. And it doesn't go according to plan. That That's what I love. Not at all. He immediately... <laughs> runs into, you know, like an undercover sting operation, which he doesn't realize is is a sting operation. And he he witnesses something that essentially uh, makes him a target from the mob. I believe the name is Joe Minette or something like that. And Joe Minette and his mob and all of his people, the, the name I remember the most actually is, is his enforcer, Del Kane, who who reminds me very much of uh, Dolph Lundgren. So if this ever <laughs> becomes a live action thing, you you need to cast Dolph Lundgren as uh, Del Kane. He is a huge enforcer who Robin holds his own against. Spoiler. Well, and, you know, this is where the optimism starts to shine. The arrogance of youth. I can do this shit. I got this. I don't recall there being too many white. Well, there was a little bit of wisecracking, but it was his approach to crime fighting. And he wasn't necessarily going into the city to patrol and get into it with the mob. But when he does, despite the serious stakes, he's having fun with it. And the goal is, even while he's doing this, you know, he's trying to send Batman on a wild goose chase, leaving him clues, taunting him, even though he doesn't have to, he could just go hide. But when he does confront all of this danger, his approach, and Batman's watching, Batman effectively finds him halfway through and just chooses to watch and make sure he can hold his own. And he doesn't say, ha ha, I caught you. He's like, okay, well, Robin's gotten into some shit. Let's see what he can do. And he holds his own. He improvs his way through it. It's a decidedly different approach to the way Batman would do And there's even one scene where Robin's caught, he's about to get shot, and behind him, 
the crooks see Batman and they run away and, and Robin doesn't know this. So Batman's still watching over him, but he's letting, he's letting Robin fly. And that's, and that's an effective note because it shows that, all right, well, while I'm, while I'm stern, I'm training, I'm really hard on this kid. He's not, he's really going to try his hardest to not let anything happen to this kid. He's Robin is obviously headstrong. He's going to do whatever he wants. And he shows it here. As you said, there's a really cool, there's a really cool moment where it seems like he's caught and he jumps off of a bridge, but he's in the middle of a bridge, like underneath it, hanging off of it. And then a freaking helicopter shows up trying to shoot at him. Literally it's, there's, he's, he's being chased by, by air, by land and by sea. And uh, he manages to hold off everybody which one it does a couple of things it shows off his physical abilities and why that's why that's important is because you need to believe that he can actually hold his own even though he's a child i guess in this he's actually more of a he seems more like a teenager the way the art was drawn in this but also his intelligence he manages to to really throw off bruce wayne in the beginning a little bit there's a bunch of clues everywhere as uh Ruman said he could have just could have just hid somewhere, but he didn't. He's having fun. And that was the optimism aspect of it. And even you can see it in Bruce Wayne and Batman. He's not the really dark, not speaking character that we're used to these days, right? I mean, did you get a sense of that? He was more light. Yeah. I mean, again, the thing you have to take with a grain of salt is when the book was written, right? And yep. this book was in the late 90s. This is, call it Joel Schumacher era, I hate to say, but yeah, but that doesn't um, have anything – that didn't impact the comics necessarily just because – No, what, I, what it does is it impacts what people's acceptance of Batman, what Dark Victory was doing, what Batman the animated series was doing with Batman was proving that a dark Batman could work. But they were pulling at the stereotypes and the strings of 1980s Batman, Adam West Batman. That was the common perception. And this book – really thread the needle between those. Batman mm-hmm. is this dark and scary character, but he does talk. You know, he does. <laughs> and to make to make the juxtaposition of Batman and Robin work, you have to Batman, the character of Batman has to give a little. You know, you, even even if he scares the hell out of crooks, to the reader, he has to be a more accessible character. You have to understand what he's thinking, how he's seeing the world. And there's so much of the narration is from Batman's point of view of him chasing Bruce down. I, I feel like the narration was all Bruce's handwriting in yeah. this one. Yes, it and was. So you get an you get a window into how is crazy guy dressed like a bat thinking about this kid that he's making run this gauntlet. Yep. But moving on, I think I think we should get into Robin Year One, which is the next story and the last story we're we're going to be talking about today. And it's self-explanatory. It is year one of Robin. As we just discussed, we talked about day one, but now it's, he's established as the partner. What's it like in his early days, in his early, in his first year. And Robin year one is a book done by Chuck Dixon, who is most famous, I would say, for his Robin series about Tim Drake and his Nightwing series about Dick Grayson. So this was done in 2001 while the Nightwing series was in its prime. And really what this effectively shows is 
that Dick Grayson's origin. The Dick well, it, Grayson. It, yeah, it, it examines the Dick Grayson you you know and love from Nightwing. Yeah. What was he? What drove him? What was his moments? It's it's an interrogation of the scenes between the scenes, right? What happened in those moments? And and what I love about this book more than the other, actually closest to Dark Victory, actually, mm-hmm. is the story spans months. And it shows what happens in between the months. It shows the tension and the consequences of the actions month to month. It's of all of these. And I know we're going to talk about this later. If you were to take this to some form of a screen, TV, animation, even film, I think the work that is done in Dark Victory has to be has to be done over two to three story arcs, be it films or seasons, right? Of establishing batman establishing his darkness and his weak points and introducing this kid's tragedy and the role of the kid you know this book robin year one is your third movie or your third season it is you've literally it's the payoff to everything else you saw before in dark victory and the gauntlet and it really it's all about robin the other books aren't really about robin they're about robin proving himself they're about dick's tragedy but this is about the kid putting on the suit and having some fun. This and is my favorite it, out of everything we've read so far for the origin. This is my favorite. If anybody's listening and you're only going to pick one of these things to read, I would recommend reading this one. Yeah. And, you know, Parish, you and I have spent a little bit more time at length, but there's so many character beats in here. You know, every chapter, I think it's four, four issues, yeah. which effectively are chapters. But there's a, a strong beginning, middle, and end of, of the tension and the conflict that Bruce is feeling with Robin. There's some abject m- moments of trauma, right? When Two-Face has his way with Robin mm-hmm. and causes Batman and Commissioner Gordon and Alfred to question their judgment. But coming back to your point, Parash, about optimism, it even in the wake of tragedy of, spoiler alert, Two-Face just really just destroying Robin, like physically. Yeah, almost um, dies. Yeah, he wants to get back up and fight again, and Bruce won't let him because he's realized the error of his ways. And that's yeah. halfway through the book. Yeah, first words out of Dick Grayson's mouth when he wakes up from like some sort of coma in, in a way is, oh, well, you win some, you lose some. I'll be back out to help you in a couple of weeks or something like that. <laughs> he's just smiling. And, and with every character, supporting character in Batman's universe, and it, it, it's almost cruel to call Alfred a supporting character because he's not, but all the other supporting characters, be they villains or cops or gangsters, this book is all also about everyone's reaction to this kid. What the hell are you doing? But you even see the Joker's reaction to him, Two-Face's reaction to him, Mr. Freeze's reaction to him, Killer Moth's reaction to him. <laughs> and, and they're all really different. And there's some character beats about again this book had the luxury of coming out in modern history after so much of robin's history has already been written so there was a way to make nods to things that would happen later on in dick grayson's life but that obviously preceded this book from a publication standpoint yeah and in terms of the characters in this book I would say the most effective character outside of Dick Grayson. I think Dick Grayson is actually the most important and most effective character in this book. After that, it's Alfred. The whole story is actually narrated by Alfred. And I guess the plot points are aligned with what Roman said earlier, constant anxiety and 
regret almost for what are we doing? Is this actually happening? He's he's out there in the night with Batman fighting adults, criminals. How can we let this happen? They don't shy away from that, right? Other other stories have touched on it, but this one, it's very obvious Robin is a child and it's very obvious what that this concept is wrong that you can't do this. One of my favorite lines is, I think he's Captain Gordon in the story. He says to Batman, if anything happens to this kid, I'm taking you down. And you can feel that tension in that moment. And you can feel the tension of the concept of Robin in that moment. It's never really driven home like like this in other stories where you, as the reader, even are like, oh, yeah. He's a kid. What are we doing here? <laughs> and, you know, the first here's the only the only riff I have with this is everything but book four. Everything else more or less establishes new stories in an existing universe. Right. The with a couple of extras, you know, Robin interacting with a girl at school and retconning that girl into a mission with the Mad Hatter, all those things. It's fine. It's book four. And they're and they're. And I feel like every book is Robin basically losing, losing the permission to be Robin and making decisions to still fight for good. But in the fourth book, he hooks up with the League of Shadows, more or less. And they introduce a couple of new characters where the payoff happens in the modern era with Nightwing. But they, they're basically retcon one brand new story with new characters, which could have been fine if it was standalone. But I, I hate that they felt the need to hook it back in later on. But it does. I, I think it works either way. Like whether you've read Nightwing or not, I, I think it's still effective. I, I go back and forth on it. I really do because I, I question if you couldn't have done that with someone else that was existing. You know, yeah. Why did it have to be some lieutenant versus actual some interaction with Rachel Ghoul or Talia or something? Although I guess at this point in the history, Rachel Ghoul didn't exist for Batman, and so you could say the League of Shadows is a thing that no one knows anything about. Potentially, but I mean, like like you said, the first three books are some really iconic characters, like from the Rogues Gallery of Batman. You have Harvey, you have Harvey Dent, Two Face. You have Mister Freeze. You have the Mad Hatter, and you know, there's there's a there's a brief thing with the Joker also. But that don't is forget the- Killer Moth. Don't forget and, and Blockbuster. Blockbuster <laughs> makes an appearance. Blockbuster makes an appearance, which also connects to Nightwing in a, yeah. in a short little nod, but. I so I really enjoyed him. I really enjoyed seeing Dick Grayson taking on some of these classic Batman villains. You don't see that too much anymore with the, the current era of Nightwing and and Dick Grayson in general. He's he's got his own world of things, and I don't know how effective some of it has been. But I thought it was really effective to see him take on some of these well known iconic villains and uh, i really enjoyed it man robin year one that's the that's the winner for me i think it's both a great dick grayson story and a great robin story so but if you had to pick one is robin year one a better dick grayson story or a better robin story Hmm. it's it's i'll call it a rob i mean i'll just full up this is a robin story dark victory is a dick grayson story um but yeah, Robin, you're one. It, it's all about the kid in the pants. Even when he's not jumping around as Robin, every decision he makes is 
in the mentality of what would Robin do? What's the right thing to do to be a hero, et cetera? Yeah, but I think it's more of a Dick Grayson story just simply because of his the personality that is ex- that is really shown off of who he is. The optimism that we keep going back to is really really at the fore here. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say Dick Grayson if I had to pick. I have a question for you, Presh. And we I alluded to getting outside of the medium of comics. Why has it been so difficult to put Robin's origin on the screen? I mean, Chris O'Donnell did it. Jay Gordon Levitt did it. You know, they tease at these things, but they never quite land. What, what's going on? That people, people are not courageous enough. That's, that is uh, my theory. When you read it in the comic books, you can, you can see that maybe it might work better in a more heightened animated state. But I believe the story of Dick Grayson and specifically Robin's origin and the reason for Robin existing can work really well on screen. The reason it hasn't is because everyone's too afraid to try it out for all the reasons we just outlined. He's a kid. What are, you know, when, when there are movies being made at such a level by Christopher Nolan and whoever else, do you lose some of that credibility? Do you lose some of that gravitas by introducing a child. I would argue no. I think there's a couple of ways you can you can make it work. You um, know, I think not just courageous, but it's also people willing to pull themselves back from the brink. So I don't like the Joel Schumacher movies, but what I did appreciate in call it the Tim Burton Batman universe, right? Mm-hmm. You had two Batman movies that established Gotham City, established a pseudo relationship with Commissioner Gordon and the Gotham Police even established relationships with the mob as in Batman Returns. And <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. The first part of Batman Forever does a good job of establishing a boy in tragedy. Now, it didn't need to be Chris O'Donnell. No, it should have been a boy. But Hold on. Chris O'Don- I love Chris O'Donnell, so no. we need to stop slamming on Chris O'Donnell. No, no, no disrespect <laughs> to Chris O'Donnell, but casting in this movie. I'm sorry. Like Against the backdrop of Joel Schumacher's Batman, Never mind bat nipples. Establishing in that cartoony version. That's what Joel Schumacher was trying to do. That would have been the time. Maybe not, but to to show it from a child's point of view. And I I was just thinking about this. Like, has it been done well? You know, a lot of people say Umbrella Academy is a better version of the X-Men for Netflix, right? Has this been done? And I do think it's it's definitely not a one-for-one correlation. But Hit Girl in Kick-Ass shows what a smarmy teen with an attitude against the bigger backdrop of adults and darkness can do. And again, Kick-Ass, the movie by, you know, based on the books by Mark Millar, has this broader underpinning of humor and extremism. Mm-hmm. But it shows that a young character kicking ass in the form of Hit Girl, I cannot remember the name of the young actress, but it can work. It can Chloe, translate Chloe to the screen. Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. And- Nick Cage is basically playing Batman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's look, there's so many tropes in in modern storytelling that make fun or pay homage back to Batman and Superman or Batman and Robin. And this is another one of them. But it just proves that you can have an animated, not literally, but like an animated bouncing around snarky, smarter than you kid kicking ass and taking names. There's, and, there's an even be- but there's an even better parallel, Robin. Okay, please. And it exists in one of the most popular franchises, the biggest movies of all time. It is in the modern 
Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it exists between Iron Man, Tony Stark, and Peter Parker, Spider-Man. That is whoever people can disagree with me. You'd be wrong. That is they basically ripped off Batman and Robin in that situation. And And you know what the irony you know what the irony of it is? The irony of that is, is yes, I do not disagree. It's done really well. The relationship and the character dynamics between these two. And even their disagreement of, you know, him choosing not to want to take on the mantle later on is here's what kills me about that. And I do think it's an interesting take back between Marvel and DC. It robs Peter Parker of what makes Peter Parker. I hate Peter Parker's origins being so wrapped up in the MCU versus being his own. But the original Robin was the first place to show the kid's sidekick right back Mm -hmm. in the 40s. And many followed after it. But what Stan Lee did was make that kid relatable. He put a teenager in costume by himself on his own, dealing with the moments of reality, girls being broke, etc. Peter Parker was the original everyman. Dick Grayson might have been the original kid. And here's what's interesting. And those stories peter out over the 70s and 80s. And I'll come back to Tim Drake. And it's again, it's more about Robin. They they did better Spider-Man storytelling with Chuck Dixon's Robin run with Tim Drake. And and so it works well, but then on the big screen, Marvel takes it back. So there's this interesting, it's almost like the archetype of who a Robin, who a child hero should be, representing the everyman and our unfulfilled desires to be a superhero as kids, and who's doing it better, and who's showing the dynamics and the play on screen. It's gone back and forth, literally, I think, almost between Dick Grayson and Peter Parker over the years. I agree. And the the way you do this right and and the way you show dick grayson on camera and making it work you, we can litigate what it did for peter parker and maybe it minimized the character of spider-man in in uh, the marvel cinematic universe that's not what i care about right now what i care about is that is a model of how you introduce robin in a batman film and the way the the one difference obviously is that you don't worry as much about child endangerment with Peter Parker because obviously he has all of these superpowers. And He's a super, super suit by Iron Man. And a super suit, all that stuff. Now, there are a couple of ways around this. Peter Parker's in high school. What I think needs to be established in a Robin introduction on film is the actual physical prowess of an athletic kid at that age an acrobat an acrobat from the circus an acrobat from the circus but maybe you don't even i mean yes an acrobat from the circus makes sense you don't take hang on really quick you don't take the circus away from dick grayson no i'm not saying you do that but what i'm saying is to prove a little bit of uh to validate this a little bit there are tons of teen phenoms in sports every year there are 14 year olds that are already being recruited by you know colleges and even professional leagues for their respective sports because they are literally so impressive from a physical standpoint that I don't think it's that much of a leap to say that this kid can really hold his own in a fight. Now you expand that with the the points that we brought up earlier. Batman never allows this to happen. He's It's not sanctioned. He only goes out when he's disobeying Batman and to help in those situations. And the rest of the time, he's the, he's the man in the computer. But, he's but the I, guy but, in the cave. Yeah, I do think, I, I think 
I think Hollywood needs to show restraint. Go read Dark Victory. Dark Victory, it's not a Robin story. As I was reading, I was like, I, because I was reading it through the context of prepping for this podcast, eight issues of Batman stuff before you even hint at Haley's circus in the trauma that is coming of Dick Grayson. And even in the last four issues, he is not a major character, but those pages matter. They're establishing Dark Victory and Dick Grayson walk so further books and stories can run and resist the urge of putting him in the costume at the end of the issue. Matt Reeves, if you're listening to me, cast a little kid, show him at the circus, show his parents die. That's it. That's all you have to do. Agreed. And you need, like Roman said, you need to establish Batman. So this next movie coming up, Matthew Reeves, I know you're listening to this podcast <laughs> because you love us. Show oh, one some of restraint. Us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Show some restraint. Bring in Dick Grayson in the second movie, but don't make him Robin. Wait. Wait till the third movie. I don't know who I- you should cast yet, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> So we've covered the origin, Paresh. What's up next? I think, Roman, the next thing to do is to go into his prime days as Robin and start to tease out and discuss his transition out of Robin. What a lot of mainstream people, mainstream people, mainstream audiences don't understand about Robin is that there have been multiple versions of Robin and that they go out in become their own person, all of them. Dick Grayson is only the first one. He becomes a teenager and he has all of these adventures as a teenager. And that's what we're going to do. Wait, hold on, Fresh. I want to forget my teen years. Are you telling me we have to revisit (laughs) the teenage years? We have to revisit the teenage years. I'm sorry. It is, uh, it is mandatory. It is mandatory homework. (sighs) Next episode, Robin. The teen wonder. <laughs> I can't wait. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. QTDcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.